Juan Soto might get traded again. What organizations match up well to make a deal with the Padres? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. Reporting coming out of San Diego is that the Padres are considering trading Juan Soto. Uh, obviously, giant package to get him from the Washington Nationals. We talked about that in depth when it happened. And they need to cut some payroll. They need to, and really need to find a better broadcast partner, but they need to supposedly cut about 20% of payroll to get down to about $200 million, with Soto expected to get $30 million in his final year of arbitration before hitting free agency. Uh, some of the the expectation is that Juan Soto gets moved. Who is in a good position to trade for Juan Soto, and should they do it or not? Going to be fun and interesting here. And this isn't going to be cheap. This isn't a dump, right? The Padres want to compete in 2024, and so you're going to have to legitimately give prospects major league talent to the Padres for them to make this deal. They could always just hold them, move them at the deadline if they are not in contention, or keep him and take the qualifying offer draft pick if he walks in free agency. So when you look at the Padres, assuming they're getting major league talent and major league adjacent talent back, what they need to focus on, they need uh, a center fielder, they need a first baseman, and they need starting pitching. Obvious, these are the three needs of this team. And if you don't get at least one, if not two of those buckets, I don't think you really have a chance. The team that lines up the best to fill multiple of these buckets as soon as next season, to me, is the New York Yankees. Now, our host of Locked On Yankees, Stacey Gotsoulias, said that the cost is too high and she doesn't want this to happen. See episode back on October 11th. I'll link that up here in the corner of on YouTube in a little card. And we'll we'll put it in the episode description in the show notes. But she thinks the cost is too high. And when you look at what should Juan Soto cost, the expectation is it's going to take an average major leaguer, preferably somebody who is pre-arbitration. It's assumed it's going to take one top five prospect, another top 15 prospect, and then maybe a back, back end of the top 30 kind of person. And when you look at the Yankees, if you're trying to fill those three buckets of needs for the Padres, it can absolutely be done by the Yankees, right? If you look at starting pitching, depending on if you want to go with a top prospect, I could absolutely see Chase Hampton, who I have in the top three on the team. I could see Chase Hampton was most recently in double A to finish the year. Finished with 145 strikeouts and an ERA of 3.63. He could be the centerpiece, the top five guy in that deal. If you wanted to go back a little bit and find that top 10, top 15 guy, 
there's a bunch of major league adjacent pitchers here that are options. Drew Thorpe's a little bit younger. He was a he was a high A to double A in 2023. But you've got him. You've got Clayton Beater. You've got Will Warren. Beater made it to triple A. He had a 3.62 ERA and 165 strikeouts this year. Uh, where Warren made it to AAA, 149 strikeouts in a 3.35 ERA in 129 games. I could see Warren potentially breaking camp with the Padres in the starting rotation, depending on how things went. I could see Beater competing for that as well. You could see Thorpe or Hampton by the end of the season and or 2025. So there's multiple different starting pitching options, right? If you're looking at an outfielder, again, multiple options in the top five, you're probably not getting one of these two guys with Chase Hampton, but you could see a scenario where one of these two guys went with a Drew Thorpe or Will Warren out there, and it's something like a Spencer Jones or an Everson Pereira. So Pereira actually made his major league debut, but double A, triple A to the bigs, 107 games, batted 265, 341, 465 combined across all the levels, 41 extra base hits in his 107 games. So he is major league, could be up to start 2024 for the Padres. Spencer Jones, a little bit farther away. He went high A to double A, so Hudson Valley and Somerset. 119 games, 263, 333, 437. A little bit more of a development scenario there. 50 walks to 157 strikeouts and 119 games. I'm high on Spencer Jones. I have Spencer Jones in my home dynasty league. So not saying Spencer Jones is bad, but Spencer Jones obviously is not ready for the majors in 2024. You've got uh, strike and swing and miss issues, strikeout problems, things you have to fix there. But both of those guys, both top five prospects, you're not getting them both, obviously, but getting one of those guys could happen if you were willing to take a different pitching prospect other than Chase Hampton, a Drew Thorpe, a Will Warren. You could see a scenario where something like that happened. Looking at the need to fill first base. Not a ton of first basemen in this system. TJ Rumfelt's probably the only top 30 prospect and low on the totem pole right now because of the hand injury he had last year and the results that he put up not necessarily being maybe what you were expecting him to do between high A and double A. I think he batted 220, 316, 431 in his 88 games. But you've got a lot of catchers that may or may not stick behind the plate, but they can hit. Ben Rice had a breakout last year between single A, high A, and double A. 75 games, batted 319, 429, 603. 20 home runs, 39 extra base hits. Ben Rice is an option. If they want somebody closer to the bigs, significantly higher up on the prospect list and adjust, you got to change one of the other two guys to make this happen. But Austin Wells debuted last year, 115 total games, 238, 322, 449. You can see how these teams match up really well for a trade based off of the the perceived needs and wants of San Diego versus what New York actually has to offer. And the fit of Juan Soto in Yankee Stadium makes a ton of sense, right? They want, they have money, 
where they can make a run at re-signing him and give them two cornerstones in the outfield in Judge and Soto. They have the prospects to make the deal. They specifically are looking for a left-handed impact hitter. That obviously is what Juan Soto is. He is an impactful left-handed hitter. Uh, the issue here, and back to the point that Stacey Gotsoulias and our friends from Locked On Yankees had when they discussed this back in October, is this is a lot of major league adjacent talent. And for a Yankees squad that took a step back in 2023 because of injuries and not quite having the depth, especially in the pitching staff, to overcome those injuries, it's hard to then turn around and ship out many of those major league adjacent prospects, or in some case, like Pereira and Wells, guys who actually debuted in the majors, to turn around and ship those out for only one guaranteed year of Juan Soto because he is represented by Scott Boris. Those guys typically reach free agency. Now, you'd assume the Yankees would have the inside track towards getting a long-term extension with him and or signing him when he first hit free agency because you have five days to exclusively negotiate with your own guys. But it absolutely is a risk and it is a high cost for, again, for a Yankee squad that needs the depth, especially in the pitching staff, to go out and get a star like Juan Soto when you're only guaranteed to have him for a year. It'd make a lot of sense to see that trade and then to hear an extension announced almost simultaneously or along with it. Uh, I'm thinking similar to what Atlanta did with Matt Olson and what Atlanta did with Sean Murphy, although neither one of those guys represented by Scott Boris. That's the big unknown in that whole situation. In just a minute, I've got two other teams that I think would be good fits. We'll discuss them next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, no better time to get in on the action. They've got a bunch of stuff up for Thanksgiving. They've got Packers at Lions by 7.5. They've got Commanders at Cowboys by 10.5. 49ers at Seahawks, 49ers by seven. They've also got some fun specials just for Thanksgiving for those three games. Pick six, will any defensive player have interception for a touchdown? Will these combinations of quarterbacks or receivers hit certain milestones? Will anybody score a 60-plus yard field goal? A fun way to inject some, some more interest into the Thanksgiving games that you're watching while you're at home with your family. So, make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Okay, so looking at potential trade destinations for Juan Soto, and I haven't mentioned the Dodgers yet, haven't mentioned the Giants yet. We'll get to them in the third segment around other potential teams, simply because there's some extraneous factors there. But Here, I want to talk real quick about the Seattle Mariners and the Philadelphia Phillies, because I think both of these organizations have the prospects to fill at least some of these holes and enough talent to to cover the others and things like that. So when you look at 
the Phillies. All right, if you think about starting pitcher, center fielder, and first base, this is a situation where they can cover starting pitcher, they can cover outfield pretty well, and then you'll have to get somebody else out of the organization because you don't really have that first base thing. Although, Jake Cronenworth is there and played first base last year. It's not the best use of his skill, but you have someone to do it. And it feels like first base is the easiest to acquire on the free agent market versus other positions, right? So if you're looking at starting pitching from the Philadelphia Phillies, it's assumed Andrew Painter's not being traded. Despite having Tommy John, it's still Andrew Painter. Come on. It's We thought he was going to be in the rotation last year before he got hurt. We thought he could potentially be an ace pitcher. Andrew Painter's not being included in this trade. I do not see that happening. But you've got some other top pitching prospects. You've got Mick Abel. You've got Griff McGarry. Both of those guys have seen a ton of work done with the Phillies minor league pitching development staff. McGarry, they've reworked his delivery to make him more efficient. Abel's this close to like having a big breakout. And one of those two guys can be the headline of the package, right? We talked about a top five prospect. That's what both of them are. For the outfield portion, you've got a couple different options. The big swing is for the Padres to ask for Brandon Marsh. I don't think that's going to happen. Brandon Marsh is more than just an average major league uh, regular. He, he's he's above average production, things like that. He's produced in the past. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. There could be a conversation about outfield. Johan Rojas came up. We had very high expectations for him. His defense did play a difference, even if the offense wasn't quite there depending on how the organization feels about him, depending on how Philadelphia feels he's going to continue to develop and what he could do, you could see Johan Rojas be the other significant portion of that package. You could also see Philadelphia drop down a little bit in the prospect rankings, grab a guy like a Justin Crawford, only 19 years old, but a pure center field prospect. Somebody like a Gabriel Rincones, they just third rounder in 2022, just got back from the Arizona Fall League, a little bit of a higher level, could possibly see something like that happen. And then first base is where it's really tough. There's not a lot of great first basemen in this system, hence why you had to move Bryce Harper to first base. But you could make up for the lack of a first baseman by either sending possibly a prospect catcher or just finding another position player to send. It does feel like this organization has a lot of shortstop options, right? There's an inordinate number of young shortstops in this system. I'm not saying trade an Aiden Miller or anything like that, but you've got young players. You could always package one of those 18, 19 year old lottery ticket type uh, players in to go with two top prospects in an Abel or McGarry and a Johan Rojas, right? That third piece can be a little bit weaker if you have two top five prospects headlining the deal. And then obviously this means now Philadelphia's offense, at least for a season, and you would hope there too, they would be able to re-sign Soto if they're giving up one of those top pitchers. You're looking at Brandon Marsh in center, Juan Soto in left, Nick Castellanos in right, with Kyle Schwarber at DH. 
and Bryce Harper at first base, and then you've got Trey Turner, Nick uh, Real Muto. This is a very potent offense, and Soto's not great defensively, but he's better than Schwerber. you still got some options there. The other team is the Seattle Mariners, and the more I think about it, the more I like it, again, assuming they're able to re-sign, to re-sign Juan Soto. So if you look at starting pitching, everybody's assumed that you're going to have starting pitching get moved by Seattle because they have holes like second base and stuff like that. I don't think Logan Gilbert's not getting moved. George Kirby's not getting moved. I don't think Bryce Miller's getting moved. But you could see either Brian Wu, who right now profiles to be competing with Marco Gonzalez for your fifth starter spot. You could see Brian Wu possibly headlining that package. You could maybe see a guy like an Emerson Hancock potentially headlining that package. One of those two pitchers, both of them obviously have major league time. They've both pitched. Wu's been more successful at the major league level than Hancock. But either way, you could see one of those two guys be the centerpiece of this package. To go along with that, you have first base options. Uh, I think Tyler Locklear, being a top five prospect, would fill the other big need in that trade as far as giving you a major league caliber first baseman just came back from the AFL isn't quite ready but is closer gives you an opportunity to run through the rest of the Jake Cronenworth deal and then bring up Tyler Locklear to play first base and then if they want an outfielder you do, that's where this is a little bit iffy and why it's a little bit farther back instead of the first segment because you don't really have a major league ready outfielder to give up except for maybe Jonathan Clace. And it feels like you're not going to give up Tyler Locklear and one of those two pitchers and Jonathan Clace. That's a very expensive package for the Mariners to give up to get Juan Soto unless you already have the extension agreed to when you make that deal. That's not a package that I want to agree to giving up three top prospects like that until I know for a fact that we are going to be able to keep Juan Soto. I don't think the money is actually as big of a deal for Seattle as people think. Like I'll remind folks back in 2018, Seattle's payroll was like $162 million and it was a top eight payroll in baseball. So this is an organization that can spend and you've seen the payroll dramatically increase in just the last couple of years. As you've seen some of these guys like Luis Castillo sign a long-term deal, the obvious mega extension for Julio Rodriguez. I, I'm confident that you could see, you could fit a Juan Soto contract in on this team because you have such a great farm system full of young players and you have so many young pitchers at the major league level. Now, again, I don't necessarily want to give up a guy like a Jonathan Clace if they want a center field option. I don't want to do a package that has Brian Wu or Emerson Hancock and two other top five, top 10 prospects in Locklear and Clace without having Soto already locked down. Maybe they decide, hey, we can offer you a corner outfield option, something like a Gabriel Gonzalez, who is a top five prospect as well, and back off on the starting pitching return. I don't quite know what would be accepted by the Padres, but this is an organization that I feel like could handle the contract if they want to, has the prospects to make a deal and has a fit on the roster 
to play left field, it would be, I think right now you're, you profile to have either Cade Marlowe or Dominic Canzone in left field. But instead, if you could add Juan Soto to go next to Julio Rodriguez, that's a very good Mariners team. In just a minute, let's talk about a couple of the other options. There's some teams that either don't have the prospects or the money, and then some that could maybe work it out. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, final segment of the Juan Soto trade show for Wednesday, talking about where could Juan Soto potentially be headed via trade. And a couple teams that I've heard that I think could do it, but I don't necessarily think would be great fits. One of the teams mentioned quite a bit, I've heard, is the Chicago Cubs. And I don't know if this is because people just want to add an impact player or they feel like because they just did one year of Cody Bellinger, they can do one year of Juan Soto if he were to walk. Now, I do want to say a lot of people in the conversations that are happening around do the Cubs trade for Juan Soto, it is entirely unrealistic. One, I think to have Cade Horton or Pete Crow Armstrong in the deal at all, never mind some of the people we've seen suggesting that somehow both of those could go back to the Padres. I don't think either one of them gets in the deal. And ultimately, I think a deal doesn't get done because Cade Horton is not going to be moved by the Chicago Cubs. And rightfully so. You should not trade a guy like a Cade Horton who could potentially be an ace pitcher. We very seldomly say that on this show. We very seldomly project that for prospects, but Cade Horton has what it takes to be that guy. I think if you make that deal, you do have to give up a top prospect. I think the major leaguer that you're giving up is probably a guy like a Christopher Morrell. Has four or five years of team control left, uh, can play multiple positions, can't necessarily play them all that great, but can play multiple positions. If you're giving up a first baseman, the obvious, the easy answer is to say you can give up a guy like a Matt Mervis, but there are there's not a ton of options in this system for first base. First base was a sore spot for the Cubs as well. That's why you saw Cody Bellinger playing more first base than you probably would have liked from a defensive perspective. And I don't say that because he has bad defense. He has good defense at first base, but it feels like the outfield defense is more valuable. But Christopher Morrell is very easy to put into that package. You could see one of the outfielders you've got. We've talked about this. You have more outfielders than you have spots on the major league roster. Ian Happ's a gold glover in left field. You've got Seiya Suzuki in right. Pete Crow Armstrong's coming for center. But behind there, you've got Brennan Davis. You've got Owen Casey. You've got Kevin Alcantara. You've got multiple different options for outfield. So you can stick one of those guys in there. And then depending on the quality of that outfielder that goes, helps you figure out which one of your major league adjacent pitchers gets moved in the deal. Is it a Ben Brown? Is it a Caleb Killian? Is it a Hayden Wineski? You know, who is the guy that gets moved in that deal to get Juan Soto? Now, I don't necessarily think this is going to happen. Uh, obviously it could, but 
you know, because there's so many outfielders here. There's so many pitching prospects here. You can see how you can fill two of those three needs. I just think that there's some other teams that are better fits. Uh, I specifically did not mention the Dodgers or the Giants up early. The Dodgers obviously have a fantastic, have like just an absolutely fantastic collection of talent in the minor leagues. They have the money. They've been saving money for Shohei Otani. If for some reason they don't get Shohei, it could be very easy to turn around and stroke a check to Juan Soto and pay him long term. They have a ton of pitchers that they could trade. I don't think Bobby Miller is going to be moved. But Nick Frosso, Landon Knack, Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, I could see any one of those four headlining the package. They've already dipped into that starting pitching depth when they dealt Nick Nostrini to the White Sox. First base, Michael Bush was just a dominant force in AAA for them all year. They've got him and Miguel Vargas to together figure out some playtime in either second or third. He absolutely could play first base because he can't do that in LA and he's probably better suited to first base than he is second or third anyway. And then they've got tons of other options in their system, whether it's guys coming out of DSL, whether it's low level infielders, tons of stuff to add into the deal to make this happen. You could see, like I said, Michael Bush, Gavin Stone, and really whatever other random third or fourth prospect you want. You could see that happen rather easily. I just I don't see the Padres trading Juan Soto within the division. It just I just don't think it's going to happen. That's it doesn't seem realistic that they would trade Juan Soto to one of their rivals. If the Dodgers were in a different division, it would be an easy slam dunk put together, but it's not. And the Dodgers not trading for Juan Soto when he was a national, I definitely don't think that they'll get him now that he's controlled by one of their main rivals in the division. Giants, it's same thing. It's in the division. I don't necessarily think there would be as many hangups on the Padres side about making a deal with the Giants. The, the Giants, yes, they won 100 games two years ago, but there's not that, jet, that giant rivalry between the Padres and Giants like there is between the Padres and Dodgers. For the Dodger, uh, sorry, for the Giants' perspective, I just don't think they really have the great kind of talent to line up. They've got uh, some top prospects that would fit some of these starting pitching or center field. You've got Luis Matos, you've got Kyle Harrison, and then there's a bunch of younger pitchers underneath like Carson Wisenhunt, who's a guy that we've talked about quite a bit, uh, Keaton Wynn, Mason Black. You've got options to put this package together, but it's just something where I don't necessarily think you're going to see that kind of package come together uh, because it is a team within the division and the Giants don't have enough options in top prospect talent to counter and beat another team's offer. There's a couple teams that would love to have them, but just don't have the prospects to make the deal. The Atlanta Braves are a team that have an opening in left field. They've freed up some money by all their non-tenders and stuff. Ronald Acuna Jr. has tweeted his support for Juan Soto joining the Braves. I just don't see how Atlanta makes the deal from a prospect perspective. They don't really have any high-level outfield prospects to send in the deal. They've got starting pitching prospects. They always have tons of those, but they don't have any first-base prospects. They haven't had first-base prospects since Freddie Freeman was in maybe his third or fourth year in the bigs, and they just they don't have enough guys to fill some of these spots to make that deal. That said, never count Alex Anthopoulos out. The Mets 
are a team they absolutely could build a package here. You've got you've got Mark Vientos who was battling Brett Beatty for third base. He can also play first. You could put him as the centerpiece of the package. You could also do Kevin Parada because I think we've learned by now Kevin Parada's probably not going to stick behind the plate. You could put Kevin Parada, say call him a first baseman and make him as the centerpiece of the deal. You've got some outfielders, Jet Williams, uh, you've acquired some guys or you've developed some guys that could be in this deal. But from a contractual standpoint, Juan Soto having one year of team control, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make this deal because the Mets talked last year at the trade deadline when they told Scherzer they were going to trade him that they were looking at a 2025 to 2026 competitive window. You were only guaranteed to have Juan Soto through 2024. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to make the deal if you are the Mets unless an extension is part of that deal. I've seen people talk about the Red Sox need to add Juan Soto to go in left field. One, the perfect left fielder for that ballpark is actually Adam Duvall. He is the perfect guy to play in left field because of one, his defense was good in front of that wall. And two, the way he hits, he hits everything, giant fly balls to left field. It's perfect for Boston. They've already got enough outfielders. And I just don't necessarily feel like there's enough talent, especially at first base and starting pitching for Boston to make this deal because you're not going to trade Tristan Cassis. You're not going to trade Brian Bello. And the last thing that they need to go out and that the Padres need to go out and get is Marcelo Meyer because they they have five shortstops. They have both Hayson Kim and uh, Xander Bogarts signed long-term, so they don't need to go get a shortstop. So it doesn't quite fit in that well. And there's a couple teams that have the prospects, but they're not going to spend this kind of money. The Brewers aren't going to spend the kind of money to pay Juan Soto $30 million and extend them long-term. The Guardians, the Rays, those aren't teams that are going to do something like this. The Orioles, they've got tons of prospects that they have to move, including both infielders and outfielders. Don't have a ton of the pitching, and I just don't trust the Orioles to give significant money to anybody because they just don't do that. So either way, let me know if there's other teams that you think could trade for Juan Soto and what a package might look like. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. All the ways to reach us in the episode description, in the show notes, we have a link tree in there. In the meantime, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. (laughs) 